Zo'n 18.000 bouwprojecten liggen stil en dat kan tienduizenden banen kosten. Met een noodwetgeving kunnen provincies snel vergunningen voor projecten verlenen, al dus de werkgevers. VNO-NCW wil een overgangsperiode van maximaal drie jaar waarin er gebouwd kan worden met ook directe herstelmaatregelen in de natuurgebieden. Het college van burgemeester en wethouders in Den Haag is gevallen. Dat is gebeurd nadat gisteren werd bekend dat wethouders De Mos en Guenoui van de grootste partij in de raad, de groep De Mos, verdachten zijn in een corruptieonderzoek. Hoewel de twee wethouders zich al hebben teruggetrokken, willen de coalitiepartijen VVD, D66 en GroenLinks niet verder. De wethouders en een aantal ambtenaren zouden zich schuldig hebben gemaakt aan corruptie en het schenden van het ambtsgeheim. En het Amsterdamse college van BMW wil de stad beter bereikbaar houden en komt met het plan Agenda Autoluw om in 2030 vrij te zijn van CO2-uitstoot. Er komen investeringen in het openbaar vervoer en in fiets- en voetgangersverbindingen. Er verdwijnen zo'n 10.000 parkeerplaatsen en er worden minder parkeervergunningen uitgegeven. Bij metrostations komen ook deelfietsen te staan. En ook mogen kinderen tot 12 jaar vanaf 2021 gratis met het openbaar vervoer op woensdagmiddag en in het weekend. Het weer stapelwolken met af en toe een bui. Die buiigheid neemt tegen de avond toe met kans op onweer. De temperatuur ligt rond de 14 graden bij een matige tot krachtige noordwestenwind. Morgen is er weinig verandering in het weer. Tot zover het radionieuws. Good evening everybody and welcome back to an episode of Student Radio Maastricht. 
You've been listening to undoubtedly some rather interesting music today and I'm going to use this as an opportunity to introduce the, the theme. This is uh, The Creation of Mankind um, written by the artificial composer Aiva and that kind of goes with our theme today which is artificial intelligence and how um, it can be used to create art and what sort of art it creates. With me in the studio is Luna whom you have met today, uh, met before. Uh, Luna, maybe you could say hello. Hello, everyone. Thanks. So could you start off by telling us a little bit more about this piece? Um, so basically, as you already said before, this is written by an AI composer called Ava. And Ava has been composing different types of music. It started off with soundtracks, I think, since 2016. And it's been the first ever... Um, AI composer to be recognized as uh, the owner of the music that it composes so it has its own copyright. So Ava is its own legal entity with regard to music? Exactly, the first one ever and I think that now there's more than one. Well, I don't think that Ava is self-aware, right? I mean we haven't broached a singularity yet because if it isn't then that reminds me of the tree that owns itself somewhere in the US. Do you know about that one? No, I haven't heard about that before. Yeah, there's this tree, <clears throat> so it grew upon somebody's garden, and they loved the tree so much that they bequeathed the the eight feet or the land eight feet around the tree to the tree itself, mm-hmm. and then the tree was burned down in a fire. Very sad, but somebody planted it in a corn, and as the legal descendant of the tree, the tree now has all its own rights to its own property. Huh. So yeah, sort of reminds me of Ava. It's very interesting that you say that because when I was reading about copyrights and the different rules within different countries in the US, it was very curious because um, they had uh, the same in the same year they had two different cases and one of the cases was a group of um, of computer scientists who wanted to get the copyright of another AI uh, composer so that it could also be part uh, they could sign a contract with um, I forgot the name but. Uh, uh, yeah, with a uh, company so that they could sell the the soundtrack. And at the same time as that was happening, there was another case of a photographer who had taken, taken a picture <coughs> that was actually taken by a monkey. So he set up the, the camera, but the, the monkey came in and clicked. And then because the monkey did that, there was this whole surge of people saying that actually the photographer did not own the the photo, but the monkey did. So you had these two cases of one group of people trying to give the copyright to an AI and one group of people trying to give the copyright to a monkey. And at the end, only the AI won and the monkey did not win. So the, the copyright ended up uh, being uh, from the photo- photographer. That's, um, I don't know what that says about humanity that we gave the copyright to artificial intelligence and not to a monkey. I'm a little <laughs> sad because the monkeys, we are like kind of like related to monkeys, right? But yeah, I don't, I don't know. But yeah, that, that's quite interesting. Cases like this come up frequently in copyright law. And uh, most of the times, nobody has any idea what to do. And then somebody rings up a lawyer. And then they say they have no idea what to do. And then there's, a, there's I don't know, a change.org petition or something. Mm-hmm. But anyway, getting back to AI, what do you have for me today? Um, so I was thinking about going from different forms of art and how AI is involved within them. I've been doing a bit of research today. Uh, I'm not an expert on any of it, so probably going to make a couple of mistakes, probably many mistakes, but I'm just going to share some of the bits and pieces that I got from today's research. And maybe we could start off um, with a tiny little game. So 
I want to play a selection of songs, but some of them are composed by AI mm -hmm. and some of them are composed by humans. And I'd like you to tell me which one is which. Oh God, so such as is being tested and we're not even 10 minutes into the broadcast. This is going to be a great one. Um, <clears throat> yeah, Luna has given me a bunch of tracks that are named after fruits. <laughs> so I'm assuming that this is some form of blind testing. Um, pretty scientific, I have to say. <laughs> so uh, which fruit do we start with, Luna? Um, okay, let's start with orange. All right, give me a second and I will cue orange up. AI, but if it was, then it has to be called Mozart. Anyway. Okay, that was uh, quite interesting. I um, I don't know, you know, something that complicates this stuff like this is that it's clearly the product of um, a MIDI re render. Mm -hmm. And so the music's kind of, it, it's not exactly how a pianist would play it, speaking as a pianist. <laughs> But uh, I'm going to guess, um, Luna, I'm going to guess this one was AI. What do you say? That's correct. Woohoo! <laughs> okay, let's try another track. Hopefully this one is going to be a bit more confusing to guess. We'll see about that. Yeah, okay. Uh, let's try playing banana. Is the banana from Peru? <laughs> Richard man ate a banana.
Okay, this one was uh, definitely more difficult, so I'll give Luna that. She's mm-hmm. upping the challenge. I'm going to guess that this one was written by a human. Yeah, that was actually correct as well. Woohoo! So I'm guessing here, what is it that makes you guess that one is human and the other one is AI? See, the thing is that I'm a musician and we have this, you know, telepathic network. And uh, I query the network whenever I'm listening and, you know, I send it the sonic signature. And uh, the little chip in my brain tells me whether or not a human wrote it. And I usually get the DNA of the human to confirm. Sounds um, an interesting, um, an interesting answer. <laughs> no, see, that's what I would have done. But today I forgot my chip because, you know, it was my, in my other bag. So I had to rely upon the, the old brain, which is a little inefficient. <laughs> But anyway, <clears throat> what, I disco- what, what I noticed in the first uh, piece is that it changes style and, uh, and uh, texture rather unpredictably. Mm-hmm. And unpredictably as a human listener, obviously. Mm-hmm. But it does keep harmony. It, it, it does keep a harmonic sequence that makes sense. So there's a clear attempt at keeping, uh, at maintaining structure. Mm-hmm. But it's almost like the har- uh, it's almost like... Um, the different uh, musical elements in the piece are not um, are, are not are they, they don't they're not saying the same thing, mm-hmm. and it's a little erratic. I think the texture is what really gave away the first one, and the mm-hmm. consistency of texture in the second one. Well, the second one really sounds very human. Apart from other things, it is a human performance, mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah, it's a style I know very well as well. So, I guess that also yeah that probably makes it makes a difference. Okay, it's actually quite interesting what you say about the first one. Because the way, the mechanism through which AI composes, I'm not sure if in Ava's cases, but I think Ava's cases as well, is um, through unsupervised learning. Mm -hmm. And basically what that means is that they're going to be fed a couple of songs, a couple of like thousands of songs most of the the times. And then it's going to learn from it and it's going to try to emulate it. Mm-hmm. But then within the case of AI uh, composing music specifically, the way that it tries to emulate it so that it starts off very similar to the, what is fed. So if it's fed just a, a couple of songs, it's going to be it sound very similar to it. If it's thousands, maybe you're not really going to recognize it. But in principle, in principle, it's very similar. And then as it progresses, every note that it puts on, it's going to try to come up with uh, with something that is sort of emulating what came before but also trying to create something novel mm-hmm. so that kind of explains the sensation that you have in, in terms of there is this abrupt changes yeah exactly if you listen on an extremely local level then every note kind of follows from the other one mm-hmm. but the general direction doesn't make sense mm-hmm. so there is another um, ai composer i think it's called MoveNet, uh, MoveNet, or something like that and it's clearer to to perceive that because in this case, most of the, the compositions are only based on one single uh, track that it learns from. So at the beginning, when you start listening to it, it's very familiar. And then suddenly two minutes on the song, it's completely different, which is very funny. So you start up with Mozart and then if you told the, the algorithm to make rock out of it, it, start, it starts out very classical and then suddenly, <laughs> which is very cool. That's really interesting. As a side note, I have no idea what the fascinations, uh, what the fascinations with Mozart and research. It's like every field of musicological research I ever hear about, they're they're talking about Mozart, whether it's medicine or AI or whatever. You know, it's always Mozart, and sometimes it's Beethoven. Like I've seen a few data dumps that have Beethoven. But come on, guys, there's like a lot more (laughs) classical music, and Mozart isn't even my favorite composer. So please, like, consider my emotions in this. 
<laughs> so why, why, why would you say that Mozart is a, not your favorite composer? I think I could fill a radio episode with that answer. <laughs> Very cool. Okay. Um, uh, uh, maybe we can... Because I've been talking a bit about how the the mechanism works for music, but maybe we could have before that a general briefing on AI terms and how it goes. So that later on throughout this episode, we can talk about it more comfortably when, when applied to to other art fields, so visual arts and so on. Yeah, I mean, even AI is a bit of a, if an extremely extremely general term, right? Mm. Because um, when 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 we say AI, I think we kind of think of like the the uh, the general intelligence in her, for instance, the mm-hmm. movie. But what we are doing right now is not exactly what you would call artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. right? It's uh, machine um, machine learning. Yeah, yeah. Which well, the thing is that artificial intelligence suddenly became a very broad term. So you could say that it is artificial intelligence, but you can go more specific than that, mm-hmm. which in this case is machine learning. And within machine learning, uh, most of the time, something called unsupervised learning, sometimes also something called supervised learning. Mostly when it comes to visual arts, it tends to be supervised learning. Uh, so the difference between those two is, well, let's start with machine learning. So the idea of machine learning is that you're gonna feed a machine, so the computer, with a lot of data, so a lot of films, if you're talking about films, a lot of songs, if you're talking about songs, a lot of um, art pieces, if you're talking about that, and you're going to ask the computer to learn from it. And then once it learns from it, it tries to imitate it. But then the way that the, the computer learns from it varies. So in terms of the supervised learning, when you feed the computer with the data, you're already telling the computer what how each data is classified. So I'm going to be telling, if I'm feeding um, the computer data with fruits, I'm going to be telling this fruit is an orange, this fruit is an apple, this fruit is a banana. And then the computer already knows that. And whenever I give an unknown data, so an unknown fruit, I'm going to ask, well, given that you know what banana, oranges and apples are, what is this one? And then the computer classifies that as either of those three. With the unsupervised learning, I'm just giving in the data but I don't tell the computer whether it's orange, apples or uh, whatever fruit. I just say, this is it, deal with it. And then the computer is going to try to find clusters. So it's going to start grouping this data in a way that it makes sense. So that it's trying at the beginning, maybe there's going to be a bit of oranges mixed with apples because both are round, but then it's going to start, okay, well, maybe color is also important. So it's going to start analyzing um, color terms as well. And as time progresses, the computer slowly forms the groups and the groups are more and more similar to what we would expect the computer to to group those fruits um, in. And then once that is done, you can give again an unknown data, uh, unknown fruit, and then the computer is going to classify based on that. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. The discovery of what kind of, well, the discovery of the category of fruit itself is what is called as feature feature discovery, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And isn't that something that was more traditionally associated with deep learning? Uh, well, the thing about deep learning, I'm also not quite certain here, but I think deep learning is more related to neural networks, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. And it's a bit of a different thing. So with neural networks, the, the idea is that you telling the computer to go through the algorithm in a slightly different way. Because usually you already tell the computer, like in a normal kind of programming uh, way, you would tell the computer to go in a certain direction. So you go step one, two, three, na, 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 and it carries on that way. With neural networks, it kind of em- emulates your brain. 
which is zeros and ones um, in, in, in the computer language. And so it's, you don't really know what direction the computer is going to take when it's running through the algorithm. It's going to vary. And then when it comes to deep learning, I'm not, I, I'm not quite sure, but I think that's the, this is what it is. The, what happens is that you have many different layers of these neural networks so that you're going to go through one, two, three, thousands, many, many different layers, and you don't really know what's going to be the output. So you just give in something, something happens in between, which is this neural network that is emulating the way the brain would behave, and gives some output. And yeah, that's, that's about it. Thanks, Luna. That's mm -hmm. super interesting. <clears throat> I think we're going to take a little break now and play some extremely human music made by the extremely human band called Radiohead. This is Paranoid Android by Radiohead. Have some fun. you know discovered the features of existence and it's you know sliding into existential depression
So now we're back to the AI arts topic. And to carry on from where we left before the song, I was thinking about um, discussing about what exactly is the role of AI, AI within arts. Because when I started thinking about it, my first question, the, th the first thing that I had in mind is, would any artwork produced by an AI even be recognized, ever be recognized by people? Would people ever think of that as true art? No. Or not. So Sachin here has a, <laughs> has a very strong opinion. No, I don't really have a strong opinion. It's more about, you know, it, uh, I don't know, like, you know, a few years ago when I discovered that we've taught computers how to music, music uh, to make music, my first thought was like, oh, what am I doing here? You know, because um, it, it, it's, it's all that stuff that people talk, keep talking about. They've automated your job away. You know, you don't you don't need to practice a piano anymore. You don't need to work on all these scores. You can throw your back in the dustbin because a computer can do that. Okay. But I don't know because um, the ability to produce music using computers, as in um, the ability to to use AI to write music, has been around for quite a while now. <clears throat> and if they had to have, they ha if they had to make a significant cultural impact, they would have already made one. So I think we can we can kind of take this as the beginning of the status quo in a world where um, AI uh, algorithmically or AI produced uh, art is part of the norm. Mm -hmm. Which is to say that um, well, people still like human art. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think the question is not necessarily whether AI art is going to take over human art. I don't think that's ever going to be the oh. case. But my question is more in terms, would a piece of art that's produced only by AI be appreciated by art, uh, all known uh, people as art? What do you think? Well, <clears throat> so Luna and I were talking about this before we went uh, on air about how, you know, pop music had been incredibly generic. And um, what had you said exactly? So I was wondering because um, I was listening to so many AI songs today and at some point you really can't quite distinguish between one and the other and pop music to me sounds as a very repetitive kind of thing and in my mind I was, I was just asking myself why is it that then AI does not take over that role so AI produces all pop music in the world why do we carry on asking or having human people composing this pop music? Yeah, that, that, that's a good question, Luna. And I think uh, in answering that, I would answer your earlier question as well about acceptance of AI-generated art. And what I think is that uh, the critical component of art is um, the story behind it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what um, AI-generated art doesn't have. Well, not at the moment, you know. You, you, it doesn't really work like that. You know, you have, um, you know, a distributed computing network that spits out a piece. It's not quite the same as, you know, um, I don't know, traveling to Russia for five years and coming back and writing a piece based on that mm -hmm. or whatever it is. And especially with, re with respect to pop, this is more true than anything else because pop musicians uh, perform mm -hmm. and they have an online persona. They have a visual image that goes, that, that, that you know, works with the music. They have album covers and all of this, all, all of these, you know, um, <clears throat> let's say associated, um, associated works, associated uh, data, associated features that are tied together by the person, not by their music. Mm -hmm. And in, I think that's why, especially in pop, it's true that the person is almost more important than the music. The person stands for something and their music is, an, is a result of that. 
and without that story i don't think that ai would mu- music would be accepted mm-hmm. it's not that people have anything against ai music i think it's just that relatability is a central component of cultural output mm-hmm. and without re- without having something to relate to people would kind of find it cold and dead not that it is cold and dead because ultimately all music is the same even if it's not produced by a human being but yeah there's no story behind it and i think that would be the major hurdle towards uh, the acceptance of artificially generated art so I've got something that might surprise you then, because it also surprised me. Means <laughs> surprised me. Um, so this is in, indeed is not related to music. I couldn't find an example within music itself. It, they they're trying to have AI composers to produce soundtracks for for films and so on. It's still at the beginning. Not much of a big thing nowadays. But within the visual arts. It's slightly different. So just so you have a bit of an idea, in 2018, there was a piece of art called Portrait of Edmund of Bellamy. And that was composed by an AI um, AI artist. And it was sold for 432.500,000 dollars. And then again, before that, in 2017, there was another piece of work called St. George Killing the Dragons, which was sold for $16,000 in an auction in New York. And both of them were, one of them, well, one of them was, had some help from an artist so that was curating uh, the, the pieces that was going to be fed to the computer and then selected which ones were to be displayed. But the one that came before that was entirely made by an AI. And yet, people found it such an interesting piece of work that they gave all that amount of money to to get it. Well, <clears throat> the thing is that first of all, I think the uh, commercial art market differs significantly from what you might consider uh, the establishment of art criti- uh, art mm-hmm. critique. And in, in and in that, I would say that uh, being that work being the first work of art that was sold. Uh, that's been generated by AI would kind of make the novelty. Mm-hmm. So there's a novelty factor as- associated with that work and maybe even the second work. I mean, the first few works that are sold in this manner will have the novelty factor of being the first works of art sold that are, you know, not made by a human being. Mm-hmm. And so they will keep their value. And so collectors would see the value in that. Mm-hmm. But with respect to artistic value, I don't know. So that's, I'm going to bring out something that might surprise you even more. Because one at this point, I just hate the twinkle in Luna's eyes. <laughs> yeah, because that was also one of my thoughts. I was wondering, okay, well, it must be just novelty. Like, if people knew that, like, if you had like AI piece and a human piece, they would definitely think that human piece has way more to tell. Yeah. Turns out it's not the case. So one of the groups, one of the groups that sold the this piece in 2017, the St. George one, they, they, they did a test. So they went to a museum and they set up to display some human pieces of work and some AI pieces of work. And it turns out that most of the people that went to visit the museum not only couldn't distinguish between AI and human, but they would say that AI carried way more meaning than the human pieces, that it had way more um, an historical background and, it was a, and, and had some social context to it that the human-made pieces did not have. What do you think of that? 
Well, <clears throat> it's getting increasingly hard to argue against you here. But uh, no, I, actually, I, I still think that my point still stands because when you go to a museum, th- there's two kinds of arts you see. You know, uh, you know, you see, I don't know, you see Van Gogh and you see Monet and you know these names, these are household names. And then when you see a work of art by them, um, then, then there is the same factor of personal history attached to the, to the work. So the work carries a different kind of significance. But there's always hundreds of artists whose works are on museum walls which are worthy of um, discovery, of, mm-hmm. of, of discussion, of, of viewing. But you don't have a personal connection to the artist. Mm-hmm. And when you don't have a personal connection, then, <clears throat> then my point doesn't stand at all. Mm-hmm. And I think your example, in fact, it validates what I said, because where the person is not involved, like if, if, I, if I viewed the art of somebody who died in 1638 and I really don't know anything about this person, and next to them there was a work generated by AI, mm-hmm. they both have the same absence of you know, personal connect for me. So then I think you, I think it's an excellent test, by the way. It's really well designed because there, um, there, there, there's really nothing separating the two works of art other than what was contained in the art themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, and I f- I, what I find fascinating is precisely this, this understanding of, 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 of looking at the piece of art and saying, oh, this, is, this brings so much to me. Or, yeah, I, can, I can feel the history behind it when, well, truly you just inputted a, bunch of artworks and told the machine to do something that's kind of emulating that kind of making some changes so it's a bit novel but not no more than that and uh yeah it's curious i would really be interested in hearing what the participants in this experiment thought when they were if they were told later Mm -hmm. that this was ai generated art yeah i'm also i don't in the 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 article that i read they really didn't really say but I think I, I think it would be kind of heartening if they if they didn't change their stances, you know, because yeah. that would mean that there's a space for this kind of art as well. Yeah, I agree, and I think that now there is more and more artists that are coming up front and trying to discuss uh, how they can collaborate with AI and how you can not see AI as something that you go against, but you can do stuff together and that you can enhance your creativity. So you make more and more um, pieces of art and with more interesting um, background and novelties really and innovation I remember reading about this a while back I mean we all know of the changing role of the artist as uh, you know from the artist as creator to the artist as curator Mm -hmm. that's happening um, with increasing you know with with an increasing pace in many fields Mm -hmm. even in music very often the uh, the artist is the composer is the curator because you know when there's uh, when the, when the piece is not a bunch of scores but a bunch of instructions mm-hmm. then the uh, then the composer is the curator when, when when the producer hires a bunch of musicians to perform on a track and doesn't prescribe the music but they know that the uh, that the performers will do their own thing mm-hmm. the producer is also a curator mm-hmm. and i think that if an artist were to work with artificial intelligence in this manner then they would also be working as you know artist curators mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned the word curator, because when you're trying to understand the mechanisms of how the AI works for the for the um, visual arts uh, algorithm, they actually use that as a the, the word curator as a as a way to exemplify it. And there are two different algorithms that do that. So one is called um, ACAN, I think. Yeah, artificial intelligence creative advers- adversarial network. And uh, the other one is called artificial intelligence uh, generative adversarial network. 
And the generative adversarial network, so it happens more or less like what you said. So you have the artist who curates the pieces and then the machine tries to emulate that. And then once it emulates that, the artist says, oh, okay, this is interesting, this is not interesting. And it gives back to the, to the computer and, and that's it. And, uh, and also the computer has the, which is also quite interesting, an interesting mechanism, because then you run the, the pieces of art that the computer generated are going to be run in, again in another algorithm where the computer within that algorithm has to classify whether what it has just created was made by a human or a machine. And if it manages to fool itself, then it means that the algorithm is working. So basically you have a computer who created a piece of art and then is fooling itself by thinking that the piece of art that it just created is actually human. And that's uh, that's when you say, oh, okay, this is working. And then, but within this algorithm, they say that, that there is the pr the process of pre curation, which is when the artist just selects all the the, the first uh, pieces of art that are going to be um, the input, and then the 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 um, post uh, curation, which happens when when the, the computer already created the, the first uh, round of images and then the, the, the artist says, okay, this looks good, this doesn't look good, this is more human, this and that, to feed the computer within this, this awareness of what's human and what's not. Um, yeah, but then the other algorithm, the second one, the CAN one, which is Creative Adversarial Network, works in a slightly different way. And it's quite peculiar because then the, the hands of the, the artist are not necessarily there or they're not fully needed because what you do you just maybe you can say that the artist's hands is right at the beginning because you have to select the pieces of art but you might just as well randomly select them doesn't really matter the computer itself is going to try to cluster it create new things and then the way that it analyzes whether the piece of art is worthwhile or not is by analyzing how creative it is so based on what it's fed it's going to try to see what resembles the most to what is there and what doesn't and then try to create something that is just different enough to be novel, but not too different that is not acceptable. And in this kind of algorithm, you don't really have much of an artist say. That's quite interesting. But the first thing I'd like to say is that this really sounds like the result of a long Wikipedia binge. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I love the honesty, Luna. <laughs> But yeah, that's quite interesting because in both these, uh, in the case of both these algorithms, you have um, a computer-administered test mm -hmm. that tests for the humanity of the result. Mm -hmm. And in one case, they're directly uh, testing whether or not it, it appears to be human-made, yeah. which is kind of like a human a computer administered Turing test which doesn't really make sense. Yeah, right? Yeah. It's very confusing. Yeah. And on the other hand, they're also assessing what is essentially a human parameter, which is creativity. Mm -hmm. And it's really it's really interesting to hear that these kind of the, these kind of parameters are being judged by well, artificial intelligence because they're what you would call human human qualifiers, you know? Yeah. And what amazed me the most about the creativity algorithm is that once if they run that and then they compare the opinions that the computer gives on each piece of art they usually tend to match with those of art experts. So if you give a certain piece of art and you tell when it was created, so let's say a Picasso created during the time of Picasso, is going to say, oh, it's extremely novel. If you give it, an, an art expert would say the same. If you give again the same piece of art, you say again a Picasso, but then you give it nowadays, then suddenly, well, it's not so novel because it's already been done in the past multiple times. And now, well, mm, not quite novel. Um, yeah. 
innovative. And the same opinion goes for the for the art expert, which is very interesting as well. Well, the first thing I'd like to bring up here is that it's extremely funny to, for, for me that uh, um, you know art experts can be kind of well emulated by Sora by AI. Yeah. They're not as original as they think. Ha ha ha! Art <laughs> experts. Ha ha ha! Critics. Ha ha ha! Okay, I'll stop laughing. <laughs> but yeah, <clears throat> uh, I, I like that you brought this up. Uh, the question of relevance, mm -hmm. because I I think that that's one of the most crucial aspects of curation and art in general. Whether you whether you're an artist curating your own works. You're, um, you're an art curator at a museum or you're an artist curator like we just described earlier on. So I think the role of uh, the curator de determining the relevance of a work is probably the most crucial here. Mm -hmm. And it's just as important as what I said earlier about the personal history of a work of art. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, <clears throat> uh, trying to find something in the present time that relates to the work of art that is that, that is on the table and trying to trying to make these connections is also an extremely important part of, of the artistic process uh, the question of relevance is a central one mm -hmm. and i think this is another area where you know the human side of curation would be really handy mm -hmm. yeah i definitely agree and i think it, this relevance becomes even more um clear when you talk about ai being applied to different fields so within um, visual arts and within music, I think AI is already at a point where you can really, you can really not be so certain about whether it was human made or not. And the curation process, I think it's more similar to what, how it would be like uh, if you were curating human work and AI work just goes alongside that. And also, yeah, and, and the outcome of the AI, you know for sure that it's going to be so, sort of good and it just depends on the curation that you made beforehand, but you can relative like you can say with relative certainty that it's going to be a good work a good output but not that it's not the same if you do that within the within text so if you ask an ai to produce a screenplay or if you ask an ai to produce uh, poems the the results can sometimes be quite funny <laughs> I must point out here that the test that Luna administered earlier on in this episode, the extremely scientific test, um, well, I passed the test with flying colors. So at least there's at least one human who's still not fooled about AI music. And I'm going to stick to that badge until my dying day. <laughs> but yeah, <clears throat> going, getting on, moving on from personal gloating. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about AI and text? Why doesn't it work for text if it works for most musicians? <laughs> I give you that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but I don't mean I don't mean that it's uh, it's not you cannot recognize, but whether it's AI or not, it's just that you could be fooled. Yeah, reasonably. Yeah. Yeah, reasonably, you could be fooled. Whereas if I show you a text that was screenplay that was written by an AI, if you're fooled by that, I'd say there's something wrong. <laughs> Do you have an example or something? Yeah, actually, yes. Uh, there are two uh, films nowadays in the world out there that were fully produced by an AI. Uh, we're going to play the first one right now. It's called Suns Sunspring. Um, this one was written by an AI, but then they hired an actual director and actors to to do that. But following st strictly following the AI rules, not just the, which was not just the dialogue, but also camera angles, the soundtrack itself. And uh, yeah, let's let's see what you think of it. And what we're hearing here is the uh, is the complete sonic result of of of, of the of the film, uh, or, or or is it just a soundtrack? No, this is uh, the the sonic result of the film. So you do, as if you were going to watch the film, but just the sound of it. 
All right, this mm-hmm. is the sound uh, this is the sonic result from Sunspring a sci-fi short film starring blah blah blah. <laughs> In a future with mass unemployment, young people are forced to sell blood. It's something I can do. You should see the boy and shut up. I was the one who was going to be 100 years old. I saw him again. The way you were sent to me, that was a big honest idea. I am not a bright light. Well, I have to uh go to the skull. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Ooh. Huh. What do you mean? Well, I I don't know anything about any of this. So. So, Sasha, what do you think the film is about? <laughs> well, that was hilariously bad. <laughs> I mean yeah that might be the worst thing we have ever played on student radio mastrict <laughs> yeah sorry to our listeners but i mean it was really interesting how absurd it was it wasn't even good absurd you know there's a lot of good absurdist theater i don't mean to you know besmirch the name of absurdism but this was really bad <laughs> Um what interested me though was that if you kind of um if you switched off and you listened to it without paying much attention it does kind of approximate what a movie sounds like you know quite accurately Yeah. So I think the reason for that is that the the AI basically it's just simulating or emulating uh, all the different films that were fed to the to the algorithm. So in the case of this specific film, I think they fed thousands of 80s and 90s um sci-fi films. <laughs> yeah, I can hear a lot of Tarkovsky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in terms of soundtrack and even the camera movements if you were able to see it, they they, they make sense. The struggle really comes when you have to write the dialogues. And the reason for that is because it's actually very difficult to emulate the way language itself, the, the way humans communicate and the way humans write because there is a logic component to it, but there's also a certain uh, abstraction or subjective uh, understanding of things and it's very difficult to find the right balance between both of them. and uh usually when they try to do that within the when they try to teach machines how to how to write they do that by following this i personally straight i find strange algorithm where they try to um they give the the machine many different texts and then the machine tries to emulate it by that so at every single word. So I, if I say if I give the word love, it's going to estimate what's the by by following all of the different algorithms that was given before, what is the most probable word that comes after love? And then say love again, and then again it is it's going to look at again and see what's the most probable uh, words that would come after that. And it kind of makes sense uh, like if you're trying to do that, but within language it's not just about what comes next but also the relationship between one word here and what was many paragraphs above or what was here and five words before it and that those relations are a bit complicated and there are many different ais that try to overcome this and there are many different tests to test how good ai are is a different uh, source of performance in terms of language but nothing really nowadays has has come 
close enough as to fool a human. I mean, it must also be here said that <clears throat> writing good dialogue is kind of, it's actually really difficult to do even for humans. Mm -hmm. And uh, there, there are countless scripts out there with absolutely terrible, you know, dialogue. And um, even, even as an average film goer, you would notice that uh, relatively few films actually get, uh, get the vibe of casual dialogue down. Mm -hmm. And in fact, cinematic dialogue can often be completely different from regular human dialogue. And mm -hmm. we've kind of become accustomed to that slightly different way of talking in movies. Mm -hmm. So I think in this case, I don't know what you think about this, Luna, but uh, what I would say is that even the goals are a little difficult to quantify for uh, for something like a project where you're, you're trying to artificially generate a movie. Mm -hmm. Do you want to approximate what speech would be like in movies? Or do you want to approximate what speech would be like in, hu in real life? Because I think uh, movie speech is not actually a good uh, source for this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there are definitely different cases. But within the, the stage at which algorithms are right now, I think either approximate the real life or approximate the, the dialogues within films are very difficult in general. And if, you, we, if we set to do it approximating to human life or, or a film and we manage to do that, that's already a great achievement. And then indeed it's going to be different, but you can from there start twitching here and there to make it an algorithm that's capable of emulating both. Yeah, sounds interesting. Unfortunately, we're we are here at the last 10 minutes of our <coughs> Student Ready Maastricht episode. Mm -hmm. So Luna, would you like to briefly go through the cultural agenda for the week? Yeah, certainly. So for the agenda of the week, there is uh, one thing that's happening right now that's really interesting and I I hope people manage to go to. It's called uh, the, the Netherlands Dansdagen. I don't know if I pronounced this right, the dance day, which is actually not a day, but an, almost a week from the 1st of October. So we already started until the 6th of October. And if you just type on Google Netherlands Dansdagen Maastricht, you're probably going to find the website. And in there, you can find all of the different um, dances that you can go and watch. There's many different um, performances throughout the city at different times, different places. So check that out. It's definitely worthwhile. And also the 9th of October on a Wednesday, there is going to be an event called Poetic Phonetics where people can just join in and share their poems and share their their creativity, songwriting, whatever. And I recommend, I've been to a couple of those and it's definitely a very nice experience. Um, quite heartwarming. Yes. Oh, yeah. And also, the 9th of October, there's actually our own event, the Student Radio Maastricht Ooh. Live Session. Yes. <laughs> and we're going to be hosting an artist called... That's Hideki Sakumizu. I, I'm not sure about the pronunciation. Oh, I gave it to you because I thought you were going to pronounce it better than I would. <laughs> but, but he's coming all the way from Japan, I think, to yeah. perform. And he's a kind of pop uh, musician mixed with uh, some other gender. Yeah, he seems to do singer-songwriter, but he really has a very interesting vibe of his own. Yeah. I think any interested listeners would do good to, you know, check him out on YouTube. Yeah, definitely. I've listened to a couple of the songs and they're quite interesting. Yeah. Recommend. And also... It's our event, so come and join. We've got some nice drinks as well. Nice, cozy evening. You're more than welcome. It's going to be at the Haunted House. Uh, to find out the address, just check out the Facebook um, event. If you type SRM uh, live session, you're going to find it. And uh, it's going to start at 9, I think. Yeah. At 8. And uh, yeah, that's it. That's, that's it for the cultural agenda. 
As always, we'd like to extend our warmest thanks to everybody who has who has made this possible for us. First and foremost, RTV Mistrict, who allow us to use this wonderful studio and um, say silly things in, in, into the radio mic. We are very grateful for all your help, all your support, and your mentorship. And we hope to you know keep working with you in the future. We are also extremely grateful to Code Zero Four Three, who have been with us for a long time, and they have been helping us <clears throat> with many things. In particular, they have the they have enabled the live sessions of, uh, to which we have already we, we've already held one. We're already uh, we're planning another one next week. And last but not the me- least, be sure to ch- check in next week uh, for the next SRM episode because we will actually be featuring Hideki Sakumizu in the studio. And for our last item, Duna would like to say something. Um, yeah, I was wondering if you can play um, a last song, also written by AI Ava. And it's called I Am AI. <laughs> Hope you enjoy it.
Are you still a Russian princess Rescued by a gypsy dancer To anyone who listened Is that a story you still tell You live a life of fantasy Your diary romantic fiction Can't you see it's hard for me Can you see what I'm trying to say It's a gentleman's excuse me So I'll take one step to the side Can you get it inside your head I'm tired of dancing Waltzes, your reflection in the mirror that you flirt with as you glide across the floor. But if I told you the music's over, would you want to hear that your dance card is empty, that there's no one really there? Do you still believe in Santa Claus? There's a millionaire looking for your front door With a key to a life that you'd never understand And all I have to offer is the love I have is freely given You'll see its value when you see what I try to say It's a gentleman's excuse me So I'll do one step to the side Can you get it inside your head? I'm tired of dancing For every one step forward I'm taking two steps back Can you get it inside your head? U luistert naar RTV Maastricht. 87.5 op de kabel, 107.5 in de ether. Dit is Ewald van Liemt met het Radio Nieuws. Een van de Amerikaanse presidentskandidaten bij de Democraten, Bernie Sanders, heeft zijn campagne stilgelegd omdat hij in het ziekenhuis ligt met hartklachten. De 78-jarige senator uit Vermont kreeg gisteren op campagne in Las Vegas pijn in zijn borst. Later bleek er een ader te zijn dichtgeslipt en werden er stents geplaatst. Dat zijn buisjes om de aders open te houden. Het is onduidelijk of Sanders het volgend jaar opneemt tegen president Trump. Onder andere Elizabeth Warren en Joe Biden zijn ook in de race. De EU kan mogelijk voor 7,5 miljard dollar aan Amerikaanse importheffing op Europese producten tegemoet zien. 
De Wereldhandelsorganisatie heeft geoordeeld dat de Europese vliegtuigbouw